it is that time. Another edition of Unlock with Fox's Brock Heward right here on Disrupt the Media. Like, subscribe, give us that thumbs up. And as always, brought to you by our friends at MyBook. Use that code next round. You will get that first deposit bonus from MyBookie.ag. So coming off two really big games this past Monday, New Year's Day. We started first the Rose Bowl. I was there. The hmm. Sugar Bowl. I forgot. Were you there or not? Okay. Nope. <clears throat> I decided I'm going to uh, keep my budget and I'm going to go to Houston. I felt yeah. pretty good, honestly, about the Huskies in that matchup. And I will be heading to Houston tomorrow for yeah, a I, fun four days. I think when you and I talked, I think we're, we're some of the few that like the combination of Michigan-Washington old school Rose Bowl, a game that you played in that matchup. Might be the last time those two teams matched up, is it? No, no, they've matched up a few times uh, since then. New Heisel had a good win at home, and just two years ago, man, in Ann Arbor. Actually, oh, yeah. my, nephew, my nephew was the was the backup, and Damon went out there, my older brother, and he came back. He's like, dude, that stadium is amazing. The music they now play, and that was like a like an all maze night, blue night hour, whatever it was, and the stadium was just ridiculous, and they just spanked and totally embarrassed the Huskies as that was kind of the start of Jim's turnaround after a brutal 20 and made the coaching changes. And so they have faced each other, but not with these kind of stakes, if ever, man. It's going to be something Monday night for sure. Yeah, so so Rose Bowl, um, I, I liked Michigan. I didn't like them as much as I liked Washington against Texas for whatever reason. But Michigan plays really well on offense and defense in the first half. The special mm-hmm. team's complete disaster. Yep. Alabama makes some adjustments in the third, completely shut down that Michigan attack up until the final three minutes of the game where they drive down, tie it up. Ultimately, it goes to overtime. A um, couple of things on that. First, the final play has been really scrutinized from Alabama mm-hmm. in overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't mind the play call. I just, nope. if you're Jalen Milrow, you take it outside, right? Yeah, you just have to, and, and it's a bummer. You know, it's, uh, it's, gosh, what is a good analogy? There's probably a pitcher and a catcher analogy with a bad snap. Like, you just get a catcher that's just itchy back there, like maybe facing a knuckleballer where it's just like, oh, gosh, you know, like where is this knuckleball going to come here? Where is it going to – and it just creates some anxiety versus a guy that is just dialed in and those catchers can frame and they don't have to think for a second. I think when you get as many just awkward snaps as Jalen got over the course of the game, over the course of the season, right? From that center, you're just constantly thinking, and that's the one thing in that moment you can't have. You just want to react. You don't want to be thinking for one second, is this snap going to be okay? You know, take my mind, my energy off anything, anywhere. And then that snap comes low, and immediately he's got to field it. And at that point, then his instinct to run and go is the only thing that flamed up. Because if it's a perfect snap and it's on the whiteboard, Tommy Reese drew that up to give you options. Here's options for you. Here's option one, right? Run pass option, obviously. But here's option one, and it's easy to see. We're going to make that picture as easy as I can in the biggest moment. And how do you do that, Lance? You know, from an old quarterback, Tommy Reese, to a play caller, Tommy Reese, to the new quarterback. Like, I'm going to do that by motioning. And that motion shows the picture. And when that linebacker was trailing by five yards, I'm sure Tommy's in that booth like, throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it. And he didn't because he's going to score. He's going to walk in. And uh, unfortunately, he did not. It was a bad snap. I think instincts kick in, use my strength, use my power. I'm going to run through people. And even with that, if you could have just had a little more awareness to widen out, you know, there may have been a chance certainly to get closer and sniff the end zone, which he didn't come close to doing. Well, we talk about the center exchange and Seth McLaughlin has since 
entered the transfer portal. Um, he will unfortunately witness protection or transfer portal down there. <laughs> yeah, he'll be remembered. In Alabama lore is the guy yeah. that couldn't uh, have the yeah. clean back center exchange. Look, I know as a quarterback that played for as long as you did, um, you've obviously had bad quarterback center exchanges. Mm-hmm. Um, game a little bit different. Uh, you were more under center back then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but did you ever have a consistent problem with a guy out of shotgun that just? Really couldn't get it to you? Not really, man. Not like that. But I, in 17 years of being on the college football road, it's amazing how many times that comes into play and how many of these systems with elite guys. And Oregon had one a couple of years ago that it was just like automatic in the difference. And he could he could put like right shoulder, left shoulder. And you just think, okay, that running back to the left, how much quicker even that mesh, you know, that half little second there that just makes it that much harder to set the whole table for everything. But, you know, even having said all of that and the hyper-focus is, is on the final play, I would say as I watched that game, I thought the whole game, like, okay, Michigan's Michigan's like the better team. Like, they're, they're, when are they going to pull away, you know? And, and you said Alabama did stifle them, and they did. But if J.J. throws that shallow cross on the numbers on a third down and that third down is caught instead of goes through the freshman's hand, like they had so many opportunities, kind of like Washington did. I know we'll get to the Sugar Bowl in a second to kind of step on it and say, okay, you know, let's finish it. Because I just felt watching it and Milrow had no sense of protection, no sense of awareness at the line of scrimmage. He's getting hit in the side of the head. You know, they slide the line. He got two free runners. He still doesn't even look over there like, oh, my gosh. And finally, at halftime, finally, they made the right adjustment and said, enough of this. We are not protecting. We are not making him process because it's not happening. So let's get back to pounding the football. They did, got back in the game. And, you know, save for a fourth down conversion, Michigan got late in that fourth quarter. We may be talking about an Alabama-Washington rematch. Yeah, you know, I I never really – I mean, I always thought Michigan was the better team, at least in the game. Yeah. Alabama did have the seven-point lead with three minutes. Flipping over to the Sugar Bowl – Washington seemed like the better team. Now, I will give you full disclosure, about seven minutes left on the clock. Unfortunately, Dunaway and Brown had some uh, – some some um, gastro, gastro issues? It wasn't that. It was more uh, just uh, travel, transportation issues. Gotcha. And the Rose Bowl, I know you've been. I don't know oh. if you've been as an actual spectator. Oh. It is a complete pain in the ass. Yes. Um, the logistics are terrible. Horrible. So they, they did all their post-game hits, interviews. They wrapped it up. They tried to get an Uber out. They could not find one. The only shuttle they found took them to downtown Pasadena. Oh. Brewery. I left at halftime, by the way. This is a, a, a move I typically do just because I don't want to deal with the crowd. That's right. And so I got out of there. I knew the, the, the halftime was going to be a long, drawn-out Rose Bowl halftime, as it usually is. So I had plenty of time to relocate to a downtown bar. But – I had to go and pick them up, so I had to listen to an AM frequency call, Washington, Texas. So I didn't see the very end. I got Mm. to hear it. But when I watched, I really thought Washington was going to pull away and win the game by 14 to 21 points. Yeah, and a a 13-point lead there, and then they get the turnover, and they get the third down pass interference on a Dunze, and you're thinking, oh, boy. And actually, we chatted with Sean McDonough this week, who will be on the radio call of the national title game. And he was starting to say to his producer, I know how this works, like, hey, let's get some human interest stories going, right? I mean, if this thing gets to 20 or 21, this thing may get out of hand here. So let's dive into some of the other stuff we have. And then there were a couple of mistakes. I I thought mistakes from a game management standpoint, a play calling standpoint, that Washington got greedy. And when you get greedy, you can get slaughtered. And when they just went for the haymaker after that conversion, instead of running it, a little short pass, they go for a little trick play, does nothing, incompletion, got to punt it. 
And I was like, oh, I don't like that. I really did not like that at all. Texas, I think, goes down and scores. And Washington comes back and scores, yada, yada, yada. And then fast forward to the final two minutes where your boy about lost his freaking mind. I mean, I had flashbacks to the Super Bowl with New England, just as every Seattle fan, a Pacific Northwesterner did. Like, this isn't happening. Like, that didn't just happen. That didn't just happen. I don't think I've told you the story of that play, the New England Seahawk play. But we were at a house like we were the year before with about 100 friends and mostly kids and, you know, kids of all of these relationships. And so there's two different viewing areas in my buddy Graham's house. One, the main living room where all the, the husbands and wives were and then a back one with the kids. Well, the back one was seven seconds ahead of the living room. Oh, no. Oh, yes. So all of a sudden you hear from, you know, the kids room like, oh, no. That didn't happen. I'm like, oh gosh, what's about to happen? You know, so, and that's kind of what I was feeling, to be honest. A, when they threw it on third down and didn't just run it and take another, didn't force Texas to burn their second time out. So they had only one left. So then when you get the onside kick, the game is over. You get to kneel three times and there's, it's done. So when they had the incompletion, I'm like, that's bad. That's really, really bad. You're going to want that. That's going to come back and bite you, you know, like it. It's kind of like golf or some of these other sports. If you don't play the game the right way, it's going to come back and bite you. Baseball. It come And it came back and bit him. And then ultimately, when Dylan was down on the ground, I mean, I did a confession on my show this week. So I'm, I'm forgiven for it. But I am screaming at him. Screaming at him to get up. Hop. Crawl. Get to that sideline. Lineman, pick him up. I am screaming amongst my five guy friends. And they're looking at me like, what's wrong with you? I knew the rule. <laughs> they didn't necessarily know the rule. Uh, and I'm like, you don't understand. You don't understand. You don't, you don't even know what's going on right now. Like they're going to get 40 seconds. This game should be over. This game should be over. And you know, those defensive guys thought they're going to have to defend for 10 seconds on a, you know, funky play. This game's over. It's over. It's over. And it wasn't over. And it was very nearly the worst loss. It had been worse than the Super Bowl. Well, let me ask you this. Yeah. For, for obviously for a Seahawk and a, and a yes. Washington fan, but what would have been the worst loss? Because you look at the endings of both of these games in regulation when Jake Thaw tries to – I don't even know why you had somebody back to field a punt if you're Michigan. That game oh. into overtime. He fields oh. it inside of the five. I'll give him a lot of credit. And Herb Street did as well on the, on the call. He was able to get that ball back on about the foot line and control it before he was taken into the end zone. So what would have been worse, the Dylan Johnson injury that ultimately leads to that possession yep. or – Michigan losing on a, a play that really the guy shouldn't have been back there. I'm going to say the Washington one would have been worse because it took one, two, three, it, multiple things to happen yeah. instead of one kid just, which we see with 18 to 23 year olds, like that's going to I'm sorry, that's awful and woeful. And you talked about the special teams in Michigan, like that's going to come up and bite you. That would have been horrendous for that individual and that kid and his parents and his grandparents and his friends and his future wife and everything else. But for Washington, it would have been a calamity of errors of like, wow, that mistake, wow, that mistake, wow, that injury, oh my gosh, that just, as I kept saying, like, that just can't happen, that just can't happen. And as I got in my horse stance on the final play with the final second of the game, and I got down there, and then the explosion, and my buddy Tom sprained his thumb, I think it's my fault, because I went way too hard, and the chest bumps and everything else, so, yeah, man, your boy was, your boy was out of control. You know what, man, I get it, and look, you're really objective, and we're going to get to the national championship in a couple of NFL games here in a sec, it is Unlocked with Brock Heward, Fox's Brock Heward, former Washington Husky, it is brought to you by Lance's Lock.com, jump on board, where we are a clean sleep, uh, sweep 
three and zero on January first since the turn of the calendar. We're fourteen and three, so we are mm. winning now. Mm. Jump on board as we head into the meat of college basketball, the NBA, and of course we've got the national championship game, week eighteen coming up in the NFL. Go to Lance'sLock.com. But you are an obje- objective guy. But look, you played there, man, and it's not like Washington's winning championships all the time. So. You know, this could be, and I think Caleb Caleb DeVore is great. I think he's one of the top five coaches right now based on two years at Washington. I know what he did at at, uh, Fresno and some other places. Um, But you just don't know with the 12-team playoff how many opportunities you're going to get. And so now you've got a one-game set against against Michigan to win a national championship, something that has not been done at your alma mater since 1991. So I get it, man. I would think the entire state is buzzing right now. Yeah, it's and college is different. I mean, it's just generational. It's familial. You know, my brother went to school there. My my dad's state-winning quarterback, Billy Joe Holbert, went there in the 80s. There's quite a pipeline from Puyallup High School to the University of Washington and Joe Krolik and Dane Looker and Todd Elstrom and the Hewards and Billy Joe and Tom Gallagher. Like, there were a bunch of players from our high school that made that 50 minute trip to put on the purple and gold to the purple and gold. And it's moments like these that it does. It just brings it out. And I know in heading to Houston, I'm going to see people and players and previous generations of players that I have not seen, but maybe once or twice in the last 30 years. So it just brings, you know, people together different than pro sports. You know, pro sports is really that team golly, that group of men in that locker room for that season, right? And then the following season, 35% of them are new. College is just different, you know, go on that journey for four or five years together in this day and age, six, seven, eight years together in some spots. You realize that the Huskies have nine guys, Lance, nine, that are six-year players that have been there for all six years. It's incredible. There's other teams with six-year players, and Penix is a six-year player that came in. But there's nine guys that have been so that, there for six years together. It's just different. That goes back to Chris Peterson, right? Yes. Oh, and yes. Jimmy Lake and now Kalen DeBoer. And you just That's don't exactly – I mean, right. guys, any any chance they get to not only get poached, but just to get out of a situation. Yeah, how many um, how many other teams are in a, in a six-year span are going to have three different head coaches and then at the end of it be 14-0, chasing perfection in the greatest – it just doesn't happen. And, right? It's and, continuity. It's Dabo. It's Nick. It's continuity that matters. That and Kirby, they, you know, you build these things. You don't have three different head coaches in six years and play on this mountaintop. So, yeah, man, it's some pretty special stuff well, in the water. You know, Kirby and Nick, uh, look, their their teams are always, according to Vegas, always a little overinflated when it comes to the numbers. Washington can't buy respect. I mean, <laughs> no. almost double-digit dog against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. Yep. Nobody gave them a shot against Texas. Went off as a four-and-a-half-point underdog. They're sitting as a four-and-a-half-point dog against Michigan. Your colleague, uh, Joel Klatt, was on our show yesterday. He said he thinks it's a, a matchup nightmare for Washington. This mm-hmm. is they didn't want to play. How do you feel about the matchup right now as we head into the national yep. championship? Nope, I understand a lot of that um, because Michigan's ability to run, and unlike other teams that will want to be balanced, Michigan could come out. Do you remember that game years and years ago? And it's kind of an abstract game. You may not remember it, but it was, gosh, it was the Brady and the, and the Patriots versus Steelers, and they came out and threw it like 16 straight times. Like, screw it. We're not going to try to run against this front. Like, we're going to throw it every down. Michigan could come out in this game and run it if they get the ball. And it'll be kind of curious to see who wins the toss and what they decide to do because there's an argument for both. But if Michigan comes out, I wouldn't be surprised if they run it 12 to 15 straight times. Like, sorry, your front's not very good, and they're not. 
And the individuals are not very good, but the sum of all of the Washington defensive parts do make it happen in the second half. So I think that's where Joel's coming from, and I totally get it. Like, they're going to take the air out. They're going to play smash mouth. They're going to be unapologetic bullies, and they're going to be committed to that run in ways that nobody else in college football is. See also what happened in Happy Valley. They don't care, right? That's what they're going to do, and that's Washington's biggest weakness. They are really average, save for Braylon Trice up front. You know, as I look at this, Lance, and uh, I got my little board here, and I look at Michigan's defense and Washington's defense, it would be 9-2. to two. Braylon Trice and Muhammad, the corner, would be the only two starters. You would take nine Wolverines. Yeah. And, you know, so that's tough. Now, on the flip side, uh, Michigan, I know they're number one on everything defensively. Do you know how many top 50 offenses they face this year? Oh, I would think that Alabama and Ohio State would be the only two. I would say two. 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 And it's not that in those Alabama and Ohio State offenses compared to their peers of the last 10 years, you might uh, argue, right, are the, are the worst Alabama and Ohio State offense of the last you know 10 years, consistency-wise, talent-wise, and everything else. So they've not faced this. They have not. And I think Washington has faced some of the equivalency. I think Oregon's defense, bigger, stronger, faster, longer. I think they're right there with Michigan's. I think Texas's front, right there with Michigan's front. So they faced, you know, physical challenges like this. They're going to be able to move the ball. It's just whether or not in any semblance they can stop Michigan's run game. Look, I, I know it's a different NFL now than what you played in. Um, but I don't think this was really knee-jerk. Like, I love Caleb Williams. I love Jaden Daniels. I think they're yep. going to be outstanding. I've got a feeling Michael Penix Jr. might end up being the best pro out of this deep quarterback draft. I mean, he he doesn't get flustered. Um, his pocket presence, his footwork in the pocket, one of the reasons he's only taken 11 sacks, uh, quick release, and the deep ball is just – it's spot on. Yeah. He has got to go to the right place where he doesn't get beat up. I mean, I, I, I would co-sign on everything you just said. The arm is exquisite. The ball comes off his hands different. The NFL ball that he's going to have the luxury of throwing is going to be even prettier than the college ball, which you can't really do, but um, he's going to make that all happen. But, you know, you'll hear this comp, I think, as we get closer to the draft, Lance, and um, they're both South Florida guys. When I had uh, Washington last year with Penix a couple times, he brought up the name. And when I say it, you're going to be like, wow, their bodies are really similar. Now their hand size and their arm is drastically different. One is right-handed. One's left-handed. One has tiny Teddy two gloves at nine and a quarter inch hands. One's going to have almost 11 with Michael Penix at the combine. But There's a lot of Teddy Bridgewater, 6'2", 214, lanky, don't carry a lot of mass, don't carry a lot of size and get beat up. And, um, you know, he won't, Penix won't be able to do at the NFL level what he's done the last two years. You brought up 11 sacks this year, five sacks in all of 2022. <laughs> he's been sacked 16 times in 27 games. If he goes to a bad team in the NFL, he might be sacked 16 times the first five weeks. Yeah, I is, Bryce Young. And this is sacked not against, you know, no offense to Stanford or Cal or ASU this is sacked against the Browns. This is sacked against grown men, bigger, stronger, even faster. So that's that's the only concern. And the NFL will be legitimately concerned about the durability. If he were to play in San Francisco tomorrow, he, he'd light up the screen. If he were to play for McVay and the Rams, those weapons, light it up. A place that knows how to protect. He's got to go to an offensive-minded, 
know how to protect, have people around me to get the ball out of my hands to protect, again, a frame that is pretty slight and is going to get nitpicked an awful lot over the next three months. Before we jump into the NFL, do you want to give us a uh, prediction for Monday night? Yeah, I think Washington can win this game like 30-24. to 24. 30 to 27. I got, I could see that happening. And I know, and maybe Joel mentioned on your show, what he said on mine, which is possessions, 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 possessions going to be so critical. Well, you know what? Washington has played a lot of games versus Oregon versus Texas where it's 10 or 11 possessions. They don't need 16. They maximize every one of them. And if they get ahead, like if one team gets ahead of the other, I, I think Washington can come back on Michigan. They can protect them. They got all these weapons in all these different places, tight end, slot, outside, screen game. Like they're going to be able to move the ball. But if Washington gets up, if Washington gets up 10, 13 points, uh, and you take Michigan out of that mindset and that ability to run it every single down, I don't know if Michigan's got the capability. I know they don't have the capability to come back like Washington does. So I could see. I could see a 30-24 kind of win and special teams. Both teams were a mess a week ago in the special teams phase of it. And special teams may once again on this stage play a pretty significant role. It is Unlocked with Fox's Brock Heward. It is on Disrupt the Media. Make sure you like, subscribe, give us that thumbs up. It was always brought to you by our friends at MyBookie. Use that code next round. Get that first deposit bonus at MyBookie.ag. First game of week 18 in the NFL. We had the Baltimore Steelers Ravens. Steelers have won three consecutive games in Baltimore. We've got backup quarterback Tyler Huntley uh, to play for. Ravens will lock down the number one seed in the AFC. Pittsburgh, everything to play for. They've got an opportunity to get into the postseason here. They're going to have to do it with Mason Rudolph. Um, God, this is kind of a yucky game. Pittsburgh favored in this game. Yes. Um, You know, and Baltimore, again, has nothing to play for. Do you think Pittsburgh wins this game and ultimately gets to the postseason? I think they could. I mean, I was in person watching that Seattle debacle and thought, man, it was more Seattle's mess than it was Pittsburgh playing well. But going back and actually watching the tape, no, it was about Pittsburgh running over and through them. 19 missed tackles at the NFL level. I mean, that is an absurd number. And it's not just about the Seahawks doing. It is about a very motivated team. And I think they've kind of in Mason found a guy that's like, hey, he's a pro now. I mean, he's played pretty good at this level. He's won some games here for us. I think he's just kind of stabilized. Like, I'm good. I'll throw it 24 times. We'll pound it 40 times. And you know what? I've got a great arm. And this Pickens guy out here, I know he's mercurial to say the least, but that dude can flat out play. And the last two weeks has just been um, just a new guy, a different guy with Mason under center. So, yeah, no, I that team I saw, maybe I'm too prisoner of the moment because I witnessed the bloodbath in person of them physically humiliating the Seattle Seahawks. They did it in Seattle. They can do it again, especially against a number of the backups the Ravens will play. Yeah, uh, you know, Tyler Huntley, I think he's one in three in his last four starts. I think the bigger news for Baltimore coming out is they signed Dalvin Cook. You know, he cleared waivers. Uh, yep. Everyone passed. The Ravens pick him up. He's going to be on their practice squad. Then they'll be able to evaluate, is he a guy that can make a difference in divisional play? I mean, Dalvin Cook from Minnesota was really good. I don't know really what happened in New York uh, this past year. I mean, Brees Hall was obviously the go-to guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think Cook fits right now because the Ravens, uh, you lose your two starting uh, running backs, uh, starting with J.K. Dobbins and then Keaton Mitchell. Now you've got Gus Edwards, but he doesn't have that home run ability like Cook. Yeah, yep. no, you needed somebody else. You needed a, a two there, and 
They throw in Lamar is really, you know, I think once we get to the playoffs, especially and with another week of rest, he's kind of a the, the one running back and, and Gus is the two running back. And now Dalvin could be the three running back. And that's a pretty comfortable role. And, you know, I, I look at, you know, not to go back to the college game in Michigan, Washington, but to me, Michigan feels a lot like Baltimore. Washington feels a lot like the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, it feels like that kind of that kind of game there. And I think with Baltimore into these playoffs, it's going to be fascinating, man, because it's never been set up better. Kansas City is messy. Cleveland's got Joe Flacco. You know, we'll even see if the Bills can get there, right? They've got to, they got to win uh, amazingly to control their own destiny and, and get into the playoffs. So it could still be the two seed. They could. Go. They could. I mean, Buffalo would be, I mean, it's not ever going to be an easy and clear path, but this would be the year of all the years that it sure feels like Baltimore is set up. And I think a Dalvin Cook is, you know, an addition and why they make that move. Like, yep, okay, we feel totally set up. Now let's bring a pro playoff experience an absolute stud to just give us some more needed depth at a very neat position uh week 18 rams head to san francisco to take on the 49ers uh, much like Steelers ravens a lot yeah. of re- uh, starters are going to be rested in this niners have got the one seed you know for the rams though i think there's a big difference in going to dallas and going to detroit like not that you trust dak prescott and dallas in the postseason yep. but the way they play at home. I mean, you saw oh, in week two, your Seattle yes. Seahawks went up there, yeah. beat Detroit and Ford Field. Um, I, I guess the Rams' mind uh, thought process now was, look, in order to make this run through the NFC, we're going to have to play the best anyway. Yep. I mean, that's the only thing I can see here. Yep. Um, because in favor like, health, right? In a favor, you know, Cooper's yeah. legs and and Stafford, who's had to endure some injuries this year, and just kind of favor health and prioritize health over the matchup of Dallas or Detroit. Who, yeah, I think each of those environments is going to be brutally hard. Each of them are loaded explosively on offense. I would rather play Detroit's defense in Detroit than I would Dallas's defense in Dallas with that noise and as you said, playing off of the emotion in the crowd. Yet. I mean, my God, that Detroit place is going to be full throat and then some for a playoff game. So, yeah, I would probably be with McVay, who knows his team a little better than anybody else and knows maybe how banged up some of these guys actually are and uh, to get them this their rest and give them, with their best stars, the best chance they can on the road. You, you tell me how difficult it is in today's NFL. Like the last quarterback I can remember doing it was Eli Manning with like a 9-7 and seven New York team able to go right. on the and win three road games to get to a Super Bowl. Um, I you find have to have an elite defense. defense. I mean, that's the only way. I'm sorry to cut you off, but that's the no, only was, way that happens. Yeah, I was just going to say, I find it hard to believe, but like a Rams yeah. team, everybody's talking about how dangerous they are. Matt Stafford's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. He's got the experience. But, you know, to be able to win in Dallas, turn around and win in San Francisco the next week, and then, hell, yeah. I, I can't even imagine those two scenarios. But Correct. Yeah, yeah it's, just, it's it's impossible to to imagine that. And the Giants were able to do it because their front and their four could beat the five of anybody. And they got hot, and that defense was incredible. And then Eli had enough on offense, Manningham, and some of the other pieces to to make it happen. But that's the only way, in my mind, like uh, a non-one or two seed is going to be able to do something like that and go on the road. Defense travels, and it has to travel in an elite, elite way. And I don't see your Rams having that. I don't see the Cowboys or the Seahawks or, you know, the Packers or anybody else, you know, that would have that kind of style to really challenge the people at the very, very top. Okay, the last time we saw 49ers play a a relevant game was a couple of weeks ago against Baltimore at home. Baltimore comes in with a chip on their shoulder. Brock Purdy throws four interceptions. To me, that's the only way San Francisco loses, right, is, is turnovers. 
I think so. Yeah. And getting to Purdy and getting beat up. You know, they lose Trent Williams in that game. And and when they did lose early in the year, there was no Debo. There was no Trent. There were a bunch of guys that were nicked up and beat up. So, yeah, I, I you know, if you put together, start to put together a most irreplaceable San Francisco 49ers. And and we do this on our local show with, with our hometown teams. Like, okay, you can't lose this guy. Yeah, you can't lose this guy. I think for San Francisco, that list does not start at quarterback like it does for everybody else, right? For your Rams and for the Lions and the Eagle, everybody else, you can't lose your quarterback. For them, I think it might be a toss-up between Debo Samuel and Trent Williams and Fred Warner and Nick Bosa and like you know go down the list. There's five or six of them there that like, yeah, I don't really want to lose George Kittle. Can't lose Kittle. Can't lose Debo. Can't lose Trent. nine Pro Bowlers. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So that's no slide on Brock. He's the he's the one that's got to stir the whole drink. And and you're right when he turned it over and he got hit and the ball gets tipped and and you know. Anything can happen, but yeah, it feels like, and in the week 18, and then as we do this through the playoffs, it sure feels like a Baltimore and San Francisco are just deeper and better than the rest in this league this season. He is Fox's Brock Heward. It is unlocked here on Disrupt the Media. I'm Lance Taylor. From the next round, make sure you like and subscribe. It is brought to you by Lance's Lock, lanceslock.com. Get a free play every single day. Again, uh, since 2024, the calendar flipped 14 and three. We're rolling right now. Jump on board. We are hot heading into week 18 of the NFL. Okay, the most intriguing game to me, Buffalo heads to Miami to take on the Dolphins. Buffalo completely dismantled Miami earlier this year. And Buffalo, this is one of those scenarios that we talked about. Buffalo could lose this game and be on the outside, missing the postseason, which I can't even imagine as a Bills fan. Typically, I'd say 99% of the time you win double-digit games, you get into the postseason. But if you would have told me as a Bills fan before the season were 10-7, and I would have been like, what the hell happened? But that's where they are right now. And they're taking on a Miami team that is banged up, but Miami is also hungry to get a win. Um, Ultimately, Josh Allen on the road here, do they get it done against Miami? Gosh, do you feel like you trust Josh Allen? No. I mean, that's that's like not, if not, you, in, not in really big games. Yes. And, and on the road, I mean, at home, if it was cold and nasty and miserable, I'm absolutely going to trust him in that matchup. But having to play this, this one's down in South Florida, correct? Yep. I just don't know if I trust that guy enough. And then the speed with which Miami plays at home. like you t- t- And I don't know if the record is indicative of this. I know it is for Dallas. They're win-loss record, their scoring margin off the charts as much you know, number one in the league, the disparity, a uh, home and away. I would have to think Miami is, is a team that is built, it flourishes at home. So, no, that's a that's a pick to me, man. That is an absolute toss-up and how healthy Miami can be and really just how reliable and trustworthy Josh Allen can be. Going to be huge, huge storylines to watch in that one. Okay, I tried to, uh, to go back and use – Use the old memory to figure this out. You played in the league for a long time. You've covered it. I can't remember the last time we've had a team miss the postseason where you would say that team could have won it all. Because the biggest challenger for the Ravens are if the Bills get in. Yep. And I don't. I, I can't remember. Can you recall a situation where a team missed postseason and you said, "Damn, that team could have won a I, Super Bowl." I, yeah, I bet you there's some teams, Lance, that lost some some just huge stars, right? Some huge key figures and maybe lost a quarterback. Oh, man, if they hadn't lost their quarterback, can you imagine? You know, they could have been, you know, I, I bet you over the last 20, 30 years, there are some of those teams that had key injuries, right? That lost their Josh Allen, that lost a handful of their players and weren't the same. But the team that actually is there with all of their players and their difference makers, no, I can't. I can't remember this at the end of the road for sure. 
Yeah, pretty. And I'm kind of, and I kind of rooting for him, by the way. I don't know why. I think we did this in our preview, our very first show. It'd be fun to go back and listen to it and look at some of the things that we were prognosticating and where this thing could turn. And I think I said it to you then. And and as it runs its course, I'll say it. You know, I just find myself rooting, rooting for Buffalo. And maybe it's after furthermore, a little more what happened with Corvallis and Pullman, you know, just seeing those markets decimated and destroyed by the powers of being college football and knowing and calling games in Buffalo and in Green Bay and knowing like those markets matter. Like they're, they're part of the, 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 the fabric of it, right? They're the, they're the part that, that, that makes it go. And you can have New York and LA and all these big markets, but you need a Buffalo. And uh, yeah, I find myself for some reason rooting for them with no attachment, never played there or anything uh, more than maybe any other team. So I hope they can get it done down in South Florida. Playoffs would be better if the Bills are in the playoffs. I do empathize with some of these fan bases. You know, being a Rams fan and, and just how – because I was talking to a Titans fan the other day. I was in. I had my Rams gear on. I was getting ready for a game a couple of weeks ago. And we were talking about it, and he said he's a Titans fan. I said, just hold with it. I was like, because one day if you win a championship, it is so worth it. And mm. – Bills fans to have never won a Super Bowl oh. and to be so close, um, especially on that first one they were in against New York. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine the suffering these people go through. Yes. And then how sweet it's going to be. We talk about that in our Seattle market with the Mariners. Like this run with the Huskies is unbelievable. And certainly those of us have played there and in Western Washington, but you know, there's a lot of newbies. There's a lot of new population to Western Washington. The influx of a lot of the new students and the demographics very, very different than even my time there and certainly in the Wayback Machine. So, you know, and college does that. You don't, you know, there's cougs on the other side that hate the Huskies and ducks that, you know, live there that hate the Huskies and don't want any rooting interest. But the team in our market that's like the Bills is the Seattle Mariners. And the fact they've never been to a World Series, the only team that's never even been and touched a World Series if and when they win at Lance, it is going to be it's going to be an explosion, maybe only rivaled by those Bills fans and the Bills Mafia up there in upstate New York. Damn, is that is that like uh, trivia knowledge on the fly of the thirty Major League Baseball teams? Seattle's the only team that has never been it's right there, a World there. Series. I believe so. I believe that, and you can fact check me on that, but I'm pretty darn sure of it. Oh my god! And they've not even really they've not yeah. They've not even really sniffed it, to be honest with you. So, yep. When that happens, it is going wow. to be. I just was chatting that with Salk on my show this morning about that. I'm like, you know, we're taking calls. We're hearing this, this, the Husky fan base. And this year was like, you know, everybody thought they'd be good, but 14 and 0 in a national title. Come on. Like, this is just so sweet. Just cherry on top, icing on the cake. And, you know, there's a, certainly a ton of excitement. The 20,000 tickets sold like that. And my brother that works there is, he said he's had like 5,000 people out of the woodwork. Like, I need tickets. I need tickets. I need tickets. So it's there, but not like the Mariners. I mean, when and if, as I said, the Mariners can finally get there and be relevant and win a World Series, that town is going to melt. It is going to just be well, I, absolutely nice. I, I am excited for you as we wrap here on Unlock with Fox's Brock Heward. Uh, brought to you by MyBookie, mybookie.ag. Put in that code. Next round, get that first deposit bonus on the house at mybookie.ag. Um, I, I, I am not, you know, we had the conversation today. We would be leaving for Houston today mm. to cover the national championship if Alabama would have won. And I'm like, I'm really cool with sitting at home this weekend. Uh, <laughs> air travel sucks now. I got yeah. delayed again yesterday. It's yep. like at least every other flight is delayed. Yep. What is your um, what is your itinerary right now? Do you leave on a Friday? Mm -hmm. 
I'm going to leave Saturday, and you're right, and and I kind of chuckle about this because when the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl in 2005, you remember where that was? Uh, <laughs> that was in, it was that Houston. Was, that was in Detroit. That was in Detroit. Oh, yeah. No, it was Detroit. Yeah. It's Pittsburgh, Super Bowl 40. Oh, yep. my gosh. Just awful. I mean, just for a fan base, like, okay, we're going to go to the Super Bowl, you know, in New Orleans or Tampa or L.A. or like go to some sunshine. Go, oh, no, we're going to Detroit. And of yeah. course, when the Huskies go to the you know national title game, is it in Dallas, New Orleans, Miami, LA, Phoenix? No, you're going to go to Houston. It's going to be down there, Houston. No offense to Houston, but Houston's not any of those other locales. Uh, so shit hole, and it's the second worst traffic behind Los Angeles, in my opinion. I've yeah, been to Houston. I had a buddy that played for the Astros. I went to a Super Bowl there. Um, I didn't find anything redeeming about Houston. No. I like the, the stadium. I the thought food, was cool. yeah, the food. The food's pretty good. The barbecue down there is pretty good in Texas. That, I'm not gonna lie about that. You got good barbecue in Alabama, so you don't need to leave home. And yes, you're gonna enjoy it from your seats. Uh, we will travel down, Titus and I, my boy, on Saturday. I've got a whole bunch of Husky events lined up. I'm gonna see a lot of old teammates, a lot of old friends. Uh, throughout Sunday and tailgate Monday, I'll do my show. They've got kind of a quasi radio row down there. So I will do my show on Monday and Tuesday down there and hopefully, yeah, hopefully celebrating. I know this, it won't be as intense. It can't be because I can't stand up like a fool. I can't chest bump and rip thumbs off and pound the mantle and get in my horse stance while I'm sitting in the stands with a, a lot of Huskies. And, uh, and let's hope it, well, you know, if it comes down to the final play, screw it. You know, let's roll the dice. 50-50 shot to do something unbelievable for the university. Yeah, would you take this scenario? Penix has got the ball on the 13-yard line, two seconds yes. on the clock, fourth down. They're down six. Yeah, I'd take that shot. Yep, i take that shot. And then and one of these teams may have that one possession. And golly, the semifinals, you couldn't have written. I mean, you just said that's as messy as college football is, and it's stu much stuff off the field that is so – unsustainable i'll say it nicely unsustainable on the field the product you just can't write some of the stuff and as and as these stories unfold and and in the final year of the pac-12 to have michigan and to have washington and to have those two decide it's pretty darn special stuff too well i'll tell you my rooting interest i say washington i don't know where i'm going to go on this on lanceslock.com yet my rooting interest is for washington you have a lot to do with that because i know how much it means to you i love kaylin DeBoer. Um, I like the Pinnock story, um, you know, and and the, the fact of the matter, back to a baseball analogy, Michigan's going to be considered the 2018 Houston Astros if they win this thing. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, and not that, you know, they were cheating last week or, you know, the week before, but people are still going to have that yep. asterisk next to it, yep. you know, fair or unfair. Nope, that's true. And then the fireworks begin too, because I am of the belief that this will this will be Jim's last game. I think he will move on to the NFL. I don't think he wants to deal with any more of the NCAA nonsense and what is looming down the road. And and he was this close, and I know that for a fact. He was this close to taking the Broncos job last year. Did not take that. Wanted to be with this group of men because this group of men for Michigan is pretty darn special, and yep. they've showed that all season long as well. But uh, more than likely going to be his last. And then and then what? You know, do they elevate from within? Uh, a lot of sources and people around the program say 90% that it's going to be Sharon that's elevated from OC and the job that he did this year. Or do they look at the across the sidelines? Because I think Michigan is the only job in college football that Kalen DeBoer would consider. Um, 
you know, having Midwest roots at South Dakota roots and ties there and coached Eastern Michigan and everything else and going into, you know, that conference instead of on a half share like Washington's going to be for the next three, four years, uh, going full share and then some with uh, the place that Jim has put them to over the last couple of years. Yeah, and LSU's Brian Kelly, another one of those names to watch out for if, in fact, yeah. Jim Harbaugh is on to the NFL. Great way to close there. Always incredible stuff. Safe travels. Um, good luck to your Huskies, man. It's going to be a yeah. fascinating national championship watch. I'm excited for it. Uh, it should be a great game. It should be. It should be. And uh, sure appreciate these, man. It's uh, it's fun living every week and both looking back and, and looking ahead. And with the NFL playoffs looming, man, we're going to have a ton, a ton of great storylines, even though there is two kind of behemoths sitting there. And we all think two number ones will be the last one standing. We also know how the NFL works and playoffs work, man. It doesn't always work that way as well. So we'll have a, a great January. Happy New Year, Lance, to you and everybody. And and kudos to that 14-3 and three start, man. Stay hot. Stay Got to stay hot. Knock on wood. LanceIsLock.com. Safe travels. He is Fox's Brock Heward. This is Unlocked right here on Disrupt the Media.